Welcome to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast. My name is Doug Winters, and I will be your host and trusty guide in attempting to demystify the entire daunting process of planning the perfect wedding. In a casual interview format, I'll be talking to the top industry professionals so you can hear directly from them exactly what it is they actually do. Event coordinators, musicians, florists, dress designers, photographers, and even maitre d's that you'll be trusting to make your wedding an unforgettable experience. Hit me up on either Twitter at WedWisdomPod or Facebook at Doug Winters BKS and let me know who you'd like me to have on and what questions you'd like me to ask. And as I remind every couple that I play for, this will inevitably be the most expensive party you'll ever throw. But remember, it's still a party. So try and enjoy yourselves. Let's do the show. Welcome to episode nine, my conversation with Lee Dyson, who is a West Coast DJ based in Los Angeles. He's got a company called Hey Mr. DJ. And in addition to being a DJ, he's also an author. He's got a book on Amazon called How to Hire a Killer Wedding DJ, which you should immediately pick up because it's terrific. I highly recommend it. And here's me and Lee. Okay, DJs became sort of most popular in the 1980s, let's say. And the look that most of us really remember is um, a guy with two turntables wearing a set of headphones, scratching on one turntable on one album and preparing the other one, maybe flipping it around and finding the exact spot to put it in to keep the party going. And it all looked very visual, very exciting. And here's the question. What happened to all those records? Um, I sold all my records ex- with, uh, in the last five years, but with the exception of my, uh, my 80s collection, I have all the 12-inch extended dance remixes for just about every... But, uh, but I spent a good few years just trying to fill in gaps on eBay, and, and it was uh, very expensive. <laughs> was yeah, paying, I'll, I'll bet. Paying $20 for a German import of a Depeche Mode track that I'll never... <laughs> That, that no one would care about. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I think what I'd really like to establish with you is um, the legitimacy of, a, of the artistry of a DJ. When I first heard about DJs, I was like, oh, come on. Anybody could just buy a stack of records and spin them. It's the old analogy of uh, you can you can buy a, a bag of tools uh, but then when you open the car and look at the engine, do you know which <laughs> tool to grab and, and, and what adapter to use and how much pressure? So um, that's, that's where the skill and the talent really lies. What really defines an exceptional DJ is intuition and room awareness. To be able to read a room, read body language, and understand what direction you should be taking the room. And the, the, the DJ has definitely evolved um and uh, you know as technology does with all things it it gives and it takes away so for someone like me that started on vinyl started by you know put every hard-earned dollar i had into buying records and building a library uh 10 15 20 years ago there for for djs photographers and videographers they all face the same challenge which is that technology makes your job easier but it also floods the market um so when i first started there was a natural insulation for a client that wanted to book a dj it was more likely that if someone was looking to dj a private event or even a club they were you just knew they were experienced because they had to have spent 
hundreds and hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars building a library. And that means that by default, it took a long time. So they had the time to actually learn the fundamentals. Oh, that that's a good make point. Them, make them good at that job. Now we live in an age where with about a thousand dollar investment, you go get yourself a laptop or, a, a, you know, a few pieces of gear. Um, in the case of a DJ, unfortunately, there's people on eBay selling entire music libraries for $150. To me, it's sad because part of the um, evolution of becoming a DJ is putting the time in and really discovering music and learning music and um, learning how one track plays with another. And all of that has been fast tracked due to technology. So Hence, uh, the entry of the celebrity DJ or the, the model DJ. And, and you do see that a, a lot in L.A. Not so much in the wedding market, but definitely in nightclubs and in lounges. And well, it's kind of like cheating. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't really have to put in all the work. You know, you know, there's really no artistry to it, you know, especially if you ripped off somebody else's music library. Um, talk to me about volume. That's always a discussion that comes up when I'm talking to clients. Sometimes a client calls us and says, oh, we heard great things about you and we we want to hire you because we want to have an awesome dance party. And I'll say, great, where's your venue? And they'll tell me and I'll go, you're not going to have an awesome dance party. Their decibel level cuts at 67, uh, which means it, it's just, uh, as you know, you need to have a certain level of volume in order for it to feel danceable. And I find that inexperienced DJs most often equate volume to energy, which is a mistake. But uh, oh, rookie good DJs, point. That's good. Rookie DJs think, oh, I need to generate energy. I'll turn it up and then they'll want to dance. And all you end up doing is pushing people out of the room sometimes and alienating the crowd. So yeah, uh, volume and decibel is a, a key factor. It really is a fine line. I, I, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's probably the number one thing that people talk to me about, and they always blame the parents. Sure, and and you're right. People throw the older guests under the bus, but they're they're guests they're, they're guests that are just as important as anyone else. And so um, we run into this a lot now. You know, when I first started DJing weddings and events, I would get the basic details. And then I would just show up and I figured the wedding planner would tell me what to do. Um, now I function like a wedding planner. Um, we want to get the timeline. We want to be involved in the timeline. If I don't already intimately know the venue, I want um, a floor plan schematic of the venue and I will physically go do a walkthrough of the venue to check the room and check the acoustics, find out the, the guest count. So I can look at their floor plan and say, okay, you have 220 guests um, it's a room with lower ceilings, so the sound is going to bounce, but it's a long room from left to right, and you've placed the DJ in the center of the room. And right now, the package that we have only includes two speakers. So that means to push sound adequately to the far back corners of the room, it's going to be way too loud for anybody seated within 15 feet of the DJ station. So now I know that we need to add extra speakers for Phil, or at the bare minimum, we need to talk to the client and the coordinator and have them redo the floor plan to make sure that older guests are placed in the back of the room and the youngest guests are placed in the front where the, the, the loudest sphere of music will be coming out from the speakers. How about size of the room? Like a, a lot of the most 
a lot of the nicest places in Manhattan are these enormous spaces that are all 90-foot ceilings and marble and glass. And, and you know, they're spectacular places, spectacular venues, but they they really have to be, you really have to monitor your volume and the placement of your speakers and, and just overall. You know, some, sometimes you end up spending more time thinking about the volume or worrying about the volume than about uh, musical selections. Yeah, so that becomes an issue, sound and acoustics, but also room layout. Um, I run into a lot of situations where uh, a client, a, br- a couple, um, will go down and see a space that has the most amazing bluff overlooking the ocean, and it's just the most beautiful ceremony spot. And so they go, this has got to be the place. We've got to get married here. <laughs> right. And the venue has three rooms for different occupancy levels. Oh, and two God. of the rooms are booked. And the, the clients have only 150 people, but the only room left on their date holds 300. So now you have this giant room and then they'll just fill in extra tiles to the dance floor to try to fill empty space. So now you have a room that not only feels too big and doesn't feel cozy and comfortable, but you have this massive dance floor. So again, what happens is they fall in love with the view, they book a room that's too large for their guest count. And uh, unless they have a really good coordinator and a, a large budget to bring in and maybe drop fabric or pipe and drape to really bring in the room, um, the, the entertainer is screwed. You know, the venue selection is the very first thing they think about. And a packed dance floor happens at the tail end of the whole experience. And, and so, again, going back to the point that the room needs to be the right size, it needs to be the right layout, it needs to be comfortable, it needs to be warm. It, um, you can offset a lot of it with decor and lighting, but uh, if the guest count, if it's, if it's too tight or it's too large, um, and then the other side of that that I'll just mention, which I preach all the time, one of my first questions when asking about their venue layout is where will your bar be? And if you have a photo booth, where will the photo booth be? Because even if you get the first part, right, you picked a venue and you have a great coordinator, um, you know, that I digress, but that that's the other problem is less and less clients are picking full coordinators. Um, they're just picking day up, which means they don't have a professional there to guide them through these decisions properly. My last podcast was with a woman who's just literally talking about this exact issue. Yeah. So what happens is they go to the venue themselves and fall in love with it. And they're not thinking about all these logistical details, but let's say they did pick wisely. Let's say they picked a room that appropriately fits their size guest count. So they got the first part, right. But the, the way the venue is laid out is they have a built-in bar that doesn't move that's out in the foyer. Um, and then there isn't space. If they have 150 people and the room holds 160, sit down. They haven't allocated enough. There's no space in there for a photo booth. So now the photo booth is going to go out on the patio. So now as a DJ or a band, you're trying to... Oh, I see where you're going with this. ...and hold them in the room. In the room. But the bar is in the foyer and the, the photo booth is on the patio. And that's that's going to drain your room. And um, that, that's the other challenge with logistics in space. And again, these are... I'm not blaming clients because these... Unless you've, you're a professional in our industry or you've done a bu- planned a bunch of weddings, these are things that would never occur to them. And that's that's why we have these conversations so that we can educate people so they can be aware. So when I go out now, I don't have to bring nine crates of records. I just bring one or two books of CDs. Yeah. 
Um, then, the, you know, technology increased. And what I mentioned before was, though, you'd see DJs showing up to parties with a, a smaller setup and a book of CDs, and people go, you're not a real DJ. You're not, you're not mixing. You're, <laughs> you know, you're just a fake. You're just a wannabe. And, and there was a lot of backlash, actually. A lot of DJs took heat for it. So, so now everyone is still concerned with getting your rig smaller. So you had turntables and CD players and your mixer, and that's you know anywhere from two to five pieces of gear that you have to set up and plug in and connect. And at some point, someone said, wouldn't it be great if it was just all one piece? So these companies created the DJ controller, which is your turn, your decks, your, your jog wheels, your turntables, and the mixer all built into one piece, one, one controller. And that's what a large majority of DJs use now, especially for mobile. Um, in, in weddings, corporate, almost every DJ, uh, I would say about 70%. There's still DJs that play off the turntables uh, or CD players, some as a novelty, some because that's what they're comfortable with. Right. But the controller now is the industry standard because it's uh, half the size of a normal setup. You can set it up on a even a, a six-foot standard buffet table is what do you, they usually get in a hotel. Sometimes it's they run out and they give you a four-foot. And uh, with a controller, <laughs> you, can, you can still set up on that and you have plenty of space. You put the controller in a case that has a sliding shelf for your laptop, and now your system is really clean and really compact. Um, and it's convenient. It's easier to load in, load out. takes up less space. Your footprint is cleaner. And, um, and that's kind of where we are today. So when you, go into a, when you go into do a wedding as opposed to a live band, um, how do you start? How do you build a set? How do you, is it the same kind of concept uh, that a band would use or is, or is, or is, uh, I think so. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably the same, same general concept because you have, you do a consultation to learn the client, learn their tastes, learn what they like and don't. We always encourage clients to create and submit a must play, try to play, do not playlist. So much yes. like a band, we show up with, a list based on our consultation with the client. Then we show up with knowing what our go-to songs are. And then we leave latitude to read the room and, and make some adjustments um, on the fly. What's your go-to song if you had a wedding tomorrow night? I mean, it's funny you said it. It's, I mean, there's, there's certain can't, can't go wrong, never fail songs. Uptown Funk is one. Uptown Funk is what I like to call a bridge song because it has attributes of different musical styles. So when you're mixing and you're in a top 40 set and you notice that the older folks have sat back down with their arms crossed and they're kind of like, when are we going to hear something for us? And mm -hmm. now I know I need to move into Motown um, or some soul or just some wedding classics. I'm not going to go right from Justin Timberlake to the Supremes. I need to find bridge songs. I need to find two or three songs that are going to smoothly transition me from that one genre to the other. So we retain as many people on the dance floor to the current music format as possible uh, while we uh, entice the, the, the other group to come up and want to dance. So I'm looking for songs that have qualities of both musical genres and Uptown Funk because it has live musicians um, and it has a lot of funk sound to it meshes well with Motown, but it's Bruno Mars and it's, it has a top 40 sensibility to it. So, and it also uh, meshes, one, it meshes really into like great 
70s stuff. Yeah, Earth, Wind, and yeah, Fire. Yeah, you could go from hip-hop to disco, from disco to funk, from, you know, you could go and to And also soul. with that 90s R&B thing, like we were talking yeah. about, like uh, yeah. um, um, Morris Day in the Time, you know. The, another the another great, another recent, within recent years, I mean, it's a little bit older now, but another popular, what I call bridge song, was Crazy by Narls Barkley. Yeah. Because that was a song, it was top 40, it was on top 40 radio, it's about 116 beats per minute, so it's mid-tempo. So it allows you to either drop or go higher in your in your beep, your beats per minute, your energy curve, uh, because most DJs are always mixing upward in their energy curve to build energy. Mm-hmm. But you could go straight into Motown, straight into soul, straight into R&B. So um, you, of course, have a few go-to songs. But uh, more importantly, when I'm training DJs, I'm always telling them to be thinking about bridge songs, songs that allow you to get from one place to another right, give me another example of a, a give me another example of a bridge song um even crazy in love by beyonce is a good one because that's obviously sampled from an old old soul track yeah. uh, the name escapes me and it has kind of a hip-hop beat but it has uh very r&b-ish vocals in it so you could take you could take crazy and love out of superstition by Stevie wonder and it wouldn't feel weird. And then you could use it to go into hip hop or vice versa. What it really comes down to is screening and hiring your DJ carefully, much like a band though, because some bands, the really good ones have a huge repertoire to pull from and they do read a crowd much like a DJ. However, as I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of bands out there much like bad DJs, they're one-trick ponies. They know a limited amount of music. They have a limited set. If if they were asked to deviate from that, they'd be lost. And and that obviously constitutes to not a great party. If they if everyone gets lucky and everyone in the room is into the the set that they know how to do, <laughs> hey, you, you, your broken clock is right twice a day. You you scored. You got you won the lottery um, that day. But uh, it's, it's so with DJs and bands alike, um, the common denominator for a client, if I was giving advice is just doing your research, you know, take the time to get to know them and know not only their, their personality, but just uh, their knowledge, you know, their ability to read a room, how flexible and malleable they are because with both bands and DJs, there's two factors. It's, it's how diverse are you and how diverse are you willing to be? So there's one category, there's the one trick pony that's just not diverse because they don't have the knowledge or the experience or the music library. Right. Then there's the band or DJ that does have it, but they're, uh, they're very particular about what they want to do and they don't bend. Um, and neither are good. You need, you need both factors. You need someone who has the knowledge and experience and, and the diversity in their repertoire. And then they, they're open to it. Um, and I see that a lot with clients that, they're afraid of getting a cheesy wedding DJ, so they hire their friend's club DJ because they know, well, he knows how to mix. He works in clubs, so it'll be really cool. But that DJ has never played a wedding. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. And they're not going to play Love Shack because they think that's a dumb song. But that's what the room dictated it needed at that time, and the DJ didn't deliver it, and hence the party fails. So I think bands and DJs are are similar in a lot of ways from a client perspective in terms of identifying the right talent, how, how you're going to work going into preparing for a gig. Um, obviously in a nutshell, I would say the diff- the, the few differences are this and not to say one is better than the other, but 
no matter what, just by default, bands have a more limited repertoire. There's only so many songs they can all learn and know, even especially if they rotate in and out musicians. A DJ with a laptop and Google and YouTube has an infinite repertoire, and we have Wi-Fi hotspots we carry with us to every gig. So no matter how much diligence we did planning the wedding, if there was a song that slipped by, and they said, oh, my gosh, there's this song. It's not very popular. It's hard to find. But oh, my aunt yeah. is here. And we didn't think she's coming. Is there any way you could play blah, 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 song X, Y, Z? Give me a minute. I can jump online and I can probably pull it down. A band can't do that. Right. Um, also, however, you have immediate, like, if a song comes out two days earlier. Yeah. Giant. Yeah, yeah. And you just, uh, yeah. So that's, that, that's a perfect example when I say technology giveth and it taketh away. For an experienced professional veteran, DJ technology has added a lot that makes our lives a lot easier. But the downside is it's also flooded our industry with three times the amount of competition. So you have to take the good with the bad. Um, but, but, you know, back to the comparison. Um, so, yeah, DJ has a larger repertoire. However, a DJ cannot create the level of energy that a live band can create. Um, and sometimes that is just so engaging that will get guests up that normally would never get up and dance to a DJ because, as you know, the energy uh, and and just the experience of seeing live musicians performing and really being into the music is is really engaging. So, you know, well, there's that's there's, what I was going to say. You have to personally do anything, not choreographed or anything like that, but do you have to do anything to be visual? I think it helps. Um, I, I, again, this is where it goes to different, different DJ styles. So Mm -hmm. East coast DJs are known to be more interactive, more of a, a true MC master of ceremonies, meaning you're really out there leading everything, um, pulling guests up, dancing with them, teaching them dances on the West coast. That's not really the style. Most West Coast people perceive that to be a bit cheesy or over the top. And so most West Coast clients are looking for a quote unquote cooler DJ or what they would say is more reserved, where a DJ is only going to speak on the microphone when there's an announcement or a traditional formality. And so our selling point, that being the case, is that if you don't have or want a DJ that is a true performer and entertainer or a really strong MC, it becomes three times as important that you have a really experienced DJ with room awareness and instinct. The two things we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. Because if a DJ doesn't have good instinct and isn't picking the right music, the room is going to start to fail. But if they're a performer and they can jump out there with a personality and entertain everyone and get them up and lead them in a dance, they can compensate for the fact that they they programmed the music improperly. But if you're just a guy who stands in a corner and you don't know how to engage people and you pick the wrong music, you're sunk. Oh, there's no question about that. Uh, it's all about the flow of the whole, the entire flow of the party is is based on whether or not the band or the DJs picking the right songs at the right time, at the right volume, in the right style. Uh, there's so many factors that go into it, which brings me to my next question about selling. Uh, I never like to think of myself as a salesman, but at the same time, I have an advantage because I have a videotape of, of my band playing live. So when people call me, they've already seen the band. They know who's in the band. They know what it sounds like. They know what it looks like. What I have to convince them of is 
the fact that I am completely and totally invested in them and the success of their party. Um, and, and I don't think selling is a dirty word because, um, when some people hear salesmen, they think negative because unfortunately there's a lot of people out there that, um, sell only to make a profit. I sell to enhance our client's experience. So it's, it's part of the sales process is education and, and listening, um, learning about the client and then selling what they need, not selling, um, anything that they don't need. We spoke about, um, the first thing, first things I need to know is where is your event happening? You know, what's the venue like? How many layouts is ceremony, cocktail and reception all in separate areas as they often are ceremonies often out in a nice grassy area. Cocktail might be in a foyer or on a patio and then dinner dancing for the reception is inside in a ballroom. If that's the case, we need three separate sound systems. We need one mic PA system for ceremony. We need an extra speaker for cocktail hour. And then we need a, a, a third or second sound system for the dinner and the dancing area. Um, so that's just the base to start with. with um, I, I believe strongly that lighting greatly enhances the ambiance of a room, which allows you to generate a party. Um, and again, what I see a lot now is that if they don't have a full planning coordinator, a coordinator from day one to help guide them, this is where they often make um, bad decisions in their venue selection. They pick a venue that has a gorgeous ceremony, but a plain old ballroom with four walls and ugly carpet. That means they're going to need about two to 10 grand extra for decor to, to make that room a comfortable room and make it a room that is enticing to want to hang out and dance. Otherwise people are going to eat, wait for the cake, and then they're out because it just doesn't feel comfortable. The analogy I use is, is when you go out to eat, if you go out to a restaurant that you've heard about and you sit down and you don't feel comfortable in the restaurant, but you're committed to being there because you heard the food was good, you'll stay and you'll eat, but you're not going to linger. As soon as the last bite is done, you're probably going to pay the check and leave. If the place feels great and you have a great booth and it's comfortable and it's warm, um, much to the frustration of your server, you're probably going to camp out for a while. <laughs> but and you're also going to return though. That's the yeah, magic. That's the yeah, magic. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But, and that's the, the analogy with rooms for receptions is, is the same. So lighting, if you picked a room that doesn't have a tremendous amount of decor and you can't afford to do pipe and drape or hang fabric to bring the ceiling in, if the, if the room is too big, the next easiest trick is to turn all the lights down. But if you turn all the lights down, now it's just a dark room. So you need some <laughs> uplighting. You need uh, pin spots to make the centerpieces pop. You need some lighting to highlight the dance floor. So psychologically, it draws people into that space. Um, you have some people that love to dance and they'll dance anywhere. They'll dance in a bus. Uh, but a lot of guests at a wedding where they don't know everyone or a corporate holiday party where they're there with bosses and fellow coworkers and they're feeling a bit shy or intimidated, um, it can be a challenge to get people out on a dance floor because people feel vulnerable and they feel uh, exposed. And wow, that's, lighting is that's the really well said. That's really well said. I, I totally agree. And, and sometimes when you, when you have that and like this, even 30 seconds uh, of no one on the dance floor, 
And it's yeah. like, you just want to kiss that first couple that comes out. <laughs> you just want to go over yeah, to them and, and hug all them. All you need is one, one becomes five, becomes 20, and so on. But yeah, that's that's always the hardest is nobody wants to be the first. I mean, what I do, this is off topic, but my my tip with with a wedding and with corporate is in advance, I try to get the clients to identify five ringers, five people that they know it's their job to jump up and be the first one on the floor because there are other people that would love to get up and dance to that first song you played, but they don't want to be the first. And as soon as they see somebody else, their safety in numbers and everybody jumps up. So you need a catalyst. With a wedding, the easiest catalyst is the first dance or the parent dance because you can simply just say, the, the, the couple would like to share this moment and they ask that you all join. <laughs> join them on the dance floor, yeah. The goal is to make that dance floor as attractive and as safe and as comfortable and as inviting as possible. And the way to do that is with lighting. So that goes back to your original question of bells and whistles. It starts with everything that we need to create adequate and, and good sound for, from beginning to end, knowing how many areas there are, where all the guests are going to be, the acoustics of the space, how many guests do you have in total? Once we have that set, then it goes on to uh, lighting and decor and ambiance. Um, and, and then, and then, you know, photo booth or karaoke or any other, any other fun add-ons they may want to enhance the guest experience as a whole throughout the event. But those are the big bells and whistles. Uh, lighting is an art form, you know, it's, it's why it's called lighting design because it, you're not just shining some blinky lights in a corner, you, you're really designing an atmosphere and an ambiance in a room. And the one other thing um, I wanted to tack on to the, the band versus DJ thing, uh, I always tell clients in an ideal world, if budget allows, always have both. Because you just can't match the energy of a live performance um, and the dynamics of, of a large piece band or even a smaller piece band that's just really tight musically and really knows how to create the right ambiance. But at every event, you have some people that really thrive on live performance and you have some guests that want to hear the original version of a song that they know from the radio. Right. And to cover your bases, it's best to have both. And, and also there's an artistry as a DJ to playing with a band. I, I get a lot of work out here because I know how to play with a band and respect the band, not step on any of their songs. So the first thing I always do is try to find out their, their, their set list when, if, and when they're taking breaks, um, get their set list. So I don't play anything that conflicts or knowing that bands, no matter how diverse they are, again, they have a finite repertoire to pull from. Or so, either that, or they have a, like a dozen songs that they know are going to work. Yep. Yep. So, and so my job is to not c compete, right? Yeah. Less experienced or DJs with egos uh, often try to compete with the band. Uh, my job is to set the table. If you know, if you were in, if you were asked to set the table, don't try to serve the main course, as my friend used to say. <laughs> so setting a band up properly, uh, or when a band goes on break, I'll usually come out and match the energy level that they left at and maintain it. So if people were dancing, maybe it will, if it's during dinner, just keep the dinner vibe. If people were dancing, we'll try to keep that energy so we don't lose the room as a whole. But five minutes before the band's going to come up, if I was peaking, I will slowly step my energy down a little bit to ensure that when the band comes back on, they come in huge. 
Um, so my goal is to hold the room, try to hold the dance floor, but not overshadow the band. And, 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 you know, I get a lot of work that way because bands go, wow, I, so many DJs don't get it. They're playing our songs. They're fighting against us. We're, we're, uh, you know, fighting over when, who's going to play, who's not. And again, you know, with all vendors, uh, it's a team effort. And, and so you're both there to create the best possible experience for the client and neither one of us knows what that's going to be until we're in the moment. I've had events where they thought the band was going to play an hour and I was going to play the whole last two, three hours of the night. And the band was crushing it. And the planner said, do you mind sitting in a corner? And I said, absolutely not. The band's killing it. Let them go. And yeah. I've had events where I was just going to play breaks. But for whatever reason, the, the guests weren't, weren't engaged and it just wasn't working. And the reverse conversation happened. The coordinator said, hey, guys, do, do you mind if we cut your set? And they said, no problem. And I ended up playing two hours straight where I was only going to do 10-minute breaks. So I think, I think there's different dynamics. That, but when you get a really good band and DJ combination, um, th that's the, the best scenario for a client because you have the best of both worlds. And you have uh, pr two professionals up there kind of seamlessly f working together to create you know, awesome energy. The, the qualities that make me really love a venue and then and want to play there and actively also re recommend it to clients is, as you said, it's it's decor, it's layout, uh, but it's also staffing. Um, you know, if the if everything from the banquet captain to the sales manager, um, making it a smooth experience for not only for the vendors, but people forget we're the biggest fly on the wall in the room. You know, once we set up, we see everything. So we can, I, and I have a hospitality background. So I watch the servers. I watch the banquet manager. I watch the planners. I watch everyone to see how things are being handled. And um, it's unfortunate when people are not on point and things are slipping because it affects the flow. And it affects me because if food service is slow, our timeline gets behind. And now if the photographer is only booked until 10, um, it forces us to rush everything. Oh yeah. The photographer. Yeah. The photographer will say, can you, can you cut the cake now at, you know, yep, two hours yep. before the end it kills, of the party? It kills your energy. You need to have a really smooth organic flow and have a timeline that's spaced out properly. We're fortunate enough to be on the preferred vendor list for uh, a large variety of venues. And it's so nice as a vendor to walk in, be able to hug or shake somebody's hand. That's true. You, yeah. They have a table set up for you. You know you're going to get fed. They know that they don't have to worry about you. Um, and, and that's really it. So my focus for 2017 was and is for 2018 to really continue to build the personal relationships with a key handful of venues. And I would much rather just play at those same six, eight, 10 venues over and over again, then be looking for the newest, hottest venue. Because every time you walk in, you're an unknown. It's an unknown. Everyone's got anxiety a little bit. Uh, is this going to go well? Um, and the client has no idea. So you feel the same you know. way about planners? Um, yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I really, in the last couple of years have narrowed down some really key relationships that I really appreciate. And, um, same thing. We, it becomes a finely tuned machine, especially with planners because they need to trust you and you need them to, um, give you the flexibility to do what you do. Um, and so for a coordinator, they, th there's two things I tell clients, 
caterers, venues, and coordinators look at a timeline from, from a logistic standpoint. A DJ or a band looks at a timeline from a flow standpoint. Right. And you need both to be successful. Uh, if you don't have a good organic flow, everything's going to feel choppy. If you don't have good logistics, everything's going to be choppy. They, they, need to, they need to balance. If you are running the night and you're following a timeline exactly as it's listed out, it's not going to translate because an event is a living, breathing thing and it, it's going to shift. What, it might only be by five minutes. Oftentimes events shift by 30 minutes, give or take, depending on if people were late to the ceremony or, you know, whatever it may be. So th that relationship between the entertainer and the coordinator is paramount because so many times I'll come up and go, hey, I know it says we're going to cut the cake at nine, but it's 8.53. It took me an extra 10 minutes to get people warmed up. They're just now on the dance floor. The vibe feels amazing. Right. We have the photographer an extra 30 minutes. It makes no sense to kill this energy just to cut the cake. The catering may be pushing you to do it because they want to cut staff. As soon as they finish the cake, clear plates, yeah, they, send half they the can people cut home. staff. But that's not our problem or responsibility. Our responsibility is to ensuring the smoothest flow possible in that space. And so coordinators that aren't intimidated by the knowledge of other vendors and embrace the knowledge. They understand much like management, you surround yourself with good people and then let them do what they do. And that's, that's a good coordinator to me. They're always the buck stops with them. They're in charge of all the moving parts, but they, they trust to consult with each vendor to go, what do you think about this? What, maybe we should move this. What, what do you think about that? And I love those relationships because we're all there just to serve the event and serve the client at the end of the day. Yeah. So as a takeaway, um, when you're selling yourself to a bride or not, I, again, we use the word sales, but we both feel the same way. It's like, yeah, it's an ugly word, but you know what? Everyone sells themselves. An actor sells themselves every time they, they go in for an audition. Um, sure. So, um, so, what is it? What should really a bride think about when they're hiring you? There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of clients. Again, I always go back to a full planner. There's a lot of clients that don't hire a full planner. They, they do a lot of the initial groundwork themselves. And so they're kind of stumbling in the dark and they don't, they haven't balanced their budget properly. That's what a full planner does. They sit down and say, what's your total budget? Let's draw a pie chart and let's allocate how much you're going to spend in each area, not based on what the internet says, but what based on your needs are. If you're a foodie, more of that money's going to allocate towards catering. If you're visual, more of that money's going to allocate towards decor. If you're focused on having an amazing dance party, it's going to go to the band or DJ. That's the planner should be there to help with guide them through that. But if they're not, if they're going with a day of planner and they're reaching out to a band or a DJ in the initial stages, that becomes our job now to, to educate them. And sometimes we have to, um, reverse engineer their budget. Um, so I would say the key thing for, for clients is to make sure you've done your research and you, you understand how your budget should be allocated and prioritized based on two things. What's most important to you and is going to positively affect your day and what you think will have the most impact on your guests, because those two things are sometimes different. What's going to be most impactful to the bride may be different than how, what's going to be most impactful to their dress. I've had brides who their only thought is capturing that one moment when they come down the stairs in that dress that <laughs> was a one-of-a-kind custom dress, and everything is about them in that moment, which is fine. It's their day. 
but they've allocated all their money to video, to photo, and to their dress. And you have 200 guests that you're trying to please over a six-hour period, and now they want to negotiate on pricing for entertainment. Um, or you see a lot of people, remember I told the story about them going to a venue and falling in love with this beautiful ceremony that overlooks the ocean, and they put all their money into a venue, and now they're venue poor. You know, like house poor where you buy a house and you can't sure. afford to decorate it? So uh, that, that those would be the key things is really l- having a good sense of your budget and what your priorities are. Because by the time you get to me, um, you know, we, we need to deliver the experience you want, but we, we charge a price that is equal to our, our talent level. Um, yeah, so- and what you were saying before about like uh, bringing in furniture or bringing in lighting, if they've already spent their money elsewhere and they'll say okay well we only have x amount of dollars to spend on the dj and it's like oh yeah but right the dj but do you is want also people to go home early or do you want them <laughs> to stay dancing until the last minute right. um you know there's a couple of quick i have one analogy that i thought of years ago that i love sharing and it's like planning reading is like a race if you were going to get into racing and you 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 think oh well obviously i need to have the absolute fastest car money can buy so i'm going to spend as much of my money on a, an amazing brand new race car as i can and we have to have a good racetrack so we'll get california speedway because that's the best racetrack in southern california and we need a good pit crew to manage the car to make sure it goes as fast as it can because we spend a lot of money on that car um, we need fans to come though. So we need to hire a PR company. to promote. <laughs> um, so now we are out of money and we have the track, the car, uh, and the pit crew, but we got to hire a driver. I was just going to say, you don't have a driver. <laughs> right. And the entertainer and the, the coordinator in my mind are always the driver in that analogy. And so often they're the last picked or last prioritized in the budget. The driver keeps the car on the track. They, they keep the race going. And they ensure uh, a successful finish. But most people front load and spend their money on everything except the driver. So um, I can't tell you how many party planners and event coordinators are going to listen to this and want your phone number. Because <laughs> you just it, capture, you just put it all together. I mean, it, it, it exactly really is. And, and not to throw any other vendors under the bus because they're all important. Again, I go back to everyone leads with a primary sense. Some people are auditory, some people are visual, some people are kinesthetic. So again, flowers, linen, um, makeup, uh, transportation, venue, there's so many aspects to a wedding or event and they all matter. But I am biased in thinking that the entertainment and the planner are the two things that control what everyone experiences from the very beginning to the very end. All the other vendor categories are integral and important and should be respected, but they're, they're moments in time. Um, and so, again, with all due respect to florists, because it is an art and it is a lot of hard work, I've never had clients, I've never heard of clients calling their bride days later going, oh, my God, that was the best wedding I have ever been to, the flowers. We just sat at the table and looked at the flowers all night long. And can I just talk about the potatoes? I have had a lot of potatoes in my life. All we did was stare at those flowers and those potatoes. It was amazing. I can't, I'm telling everyone I can think of. That's not what you hear. You hear, oh my God, I haven't danced that hard since junior high. 
you know, right. Right, I have right, not right. had that much fun. I grandma hasn't gotten out of her wheelchair in five years. Do, can you believe she was on the dance floor with her, her grandson? What an amazing moment. I can't wait to see the video of that. The entertainer, the, the coordinator helps lay the groundwork and the foundation for a timeline that allows the entertainer, be a band or a DJ, to create those moments. And, and we start at the very beginning and we wrap at the very end. And so I am biased, but I think my, I'm, it's a long ramble to make one simple point that prioritize more on your entertainment uh, because they, they're the driver and they're, what, they're what's going to bring the car to the finish line. And I, you know, I, I'll plug the book one more time, How to Hire a Killer Wedding DJ has all the tips that clients need, all the things that they don't know to ask because they're not a professional wedding planner and they've maybe never been married before. Um, and I, and I, I have articles that I'll share freely. Um, so to put a bow on your previous point, you know, when I'm selling or talking to a client, I'll say, hey, if we're not a fit for you because it's price or personality or style, that's fine but I want to make sure you get an amazing DJ. Um, so I will continue to help you. So if you have questions during your search, use me as a resource because the worst thing for me is to bump into them six months later, a year later. And they're like, man, we should have gone with you. Only I had that happened once, but my point is um, that I bumped into them, the odds, but yeah. my point is, I hope we're a fit for the client, but if for any reason we're not, I, I'm so passionate about our industry and I know it's so flooded with inexperienced DJs now that I, I want to do everything I can to educate clients, to preach the gospel and, and you know set people up for success so they have an amazing event. Dude, thank you so much. This is, uh, you were so incredibly well-spoken about, I thought that we talked for like five minutes and try and think of things to talk about yeah no i i enjoyed it i like i said i i could talk for days i it's i'm as i mentioned I'm, it's something i'm passionate about and um well, that's uh, great to hear i mean the more we can educate people and and share knowledge and information so people make smart decisions and have great events then life is good we have to find a really wealthy client I can fly one of us. <laughs> fly you, yeah, yeah. Fly you into New York or me out there. Play. We'll do the Vanity Fair party together or something. That sounds that sounds like a good time. I'm in. Lee, thank you so much. Listen, uh, how do people follow you? Are you big on social media? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. Yeah, we're on yeah. it. We're, we have presence. Yeah, it's uh, Hey Mr. DJ Lee is uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter. It's and our company website. Both the Mr. spelled out. So it's H E Y. M-I-S-T-E-R-D-J. Uh, Lee, thank you so much. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Uh, yeah, yeah hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get out there and be able to share a stage sometime. That would really, that would be great. Okay, man. Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Right,